0: yo yo welcome to herpetological highlights i'm tom major co-hosting as per is my friend ben ben marshall and you are joining us for the 100th episode the centenary of herpetological highlights
1: do we have celebrate celebratory uh sound effects pull it pull Mm. in a soundboard
0: i mean yeah i could put some noises in let's see what i can find yeah let's have some applause perhaps which I think is richly deserved. We've done 100 episodes. Big up yourself. Keep it real. We've been, doing, we've been doing this, Ben. Our first ever episode was released on May 27th, 2017. How times have changed.
1: And we've only done 100 episodes in that long.
0: Yeah, that's not bad. 100 episodes yeah. in, like, what, four and a bit years? I think we've done oh, okay. yeah, I suppose
1: that's, still, yeah, that's, that's roughly heading towards once every two weeks. Yeah, that's
0: pretty much what yeah, we've been nailing. Okay,
1: that's all right. It, it it sounds more reasonable when you say it like that.
0: Yeah, but we thought, so as it's our one hundred episode, we should do something a little bit different. So we have got a nice paper to discuss, which uh, is a Patreon-selected episode. And the paper we're going to talk about is about parasites, parasites in an amphibian. And um, yeah, it's quite a cool sort of in-depth look at not only parasites, but also pesticides and how pesticides might affect the relationship that frogs have with their parasites. And then after we've read that paper, which is a uh, Patreon selection by Skylar. So thank you very much, Skylar. And after we've had a look at that paper, we're going to do something a little bit special for the 100th 100th episode, which is play a little guessing game. And if you've been on our social media accounts, uh, you can play along. We've uploaded 10 different pictures of animals five from me five from ben which were all randomly generated and yeah pseudo randomly generated okay we'll say pseudo randomly -randomly. we are supposed to be scientists after all um yeah we we used a a a series of random number generators to find find five herpetofauna each to show each other and then see if we can guess and points will be allocated so we'll play that later on um in the meantime if you want to have a go uh, before we get to it, get to our social media accounts and uh, have a little look. You'll be able to find all the pictures there. But yeah, I think yeah, just uh, thanks for listening along to a hundred episodes. It's been great. I think we fully intend to do many hundreds more. We've got no sign of stopping. Hundreds. So, um, hundreds more. Yeah. I'm never
1: gonna stop. <laughs> what are you ripping me into? No, I think it's, it's, like, never yeah, gonna it's been end. good. It's been good. It's been good.
0: Yeah. Okay, let's talk about this paper. So this is by Hua, Werthner, Jones, Matz, Cothran, Relia, and Hoverman, 2017. Evolved pesticide tolerance influences susceptibility to parasites in amphibians. Published in Evolutionary Applications. Wood frogs. W- wood frogs, yeah. What does a wood frog even look like? Are they I- the ones... Do they make an adorable noise?
1: Almost assuredly.
0: I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of spring peepers, though, which are slightly oh, different. Oh,
1: yes. peepers,
0: Peepers peep. Peepers do peep. So, do wood frogs Wood. So, it's Lithobates sylvaticus. It's a broadly distributed species all over North America. And the reason we're talking about this particular species, the fact that it's widely distributed and quite common lends itself to this kind of study. And the authors of this paper are interested in pesticides broadly. So pesticides are designed to kill agricultural pests, hence the name, and they get sprayed all over crops in an effort to kill the things which eat the crops um, and, you know, stop, stop farmers having the yields they want to have from their crops. So we know that when you're constantly spraying pesticides, the same pesticides, year on year on year... Pests can actually gain a tolerance to the pesticides, making the pesticides less effective, essentially reducing their kill count. And this is bad for business because the agricultural industry loses money, yada, yada, yada. But pesticides are poisons, right? So they don't just affect the target species. They affect all wildlife that is exposed to them. And it's not only the pests that can gain a tolerance to these pesticides. Other wildlife can as well. And they do.
1: What's that called? Like spillover? Or uh, like non non-target effects? There's it's almost like collateral damage essentially. Ecocide. Yeah. Yeah, I mean if you Yeah. Yeah <laughs> Well that's that's why that's what makes it so important, isn't it? That um it it the actual repercussions are quite serious.
0: Yeah, it's no joke. And so yeah, just like these so called pests, frogs can become tolerant to the pesticides. And you want to talk about frog pesticide resistance. There's two broad ways in which frogs can become pesticide resistance and the same goes for all wildlife. Uh, the first is what I term the evolutionary way, which is common in areas where there is a lot of pesticide use. So basically you've got loads of pesticides floating around in the environment. Frogs are constantly exposed to it. Frogs that cannot take this pesticide exposure just straight up die and frogs that can take the pesticide exposure survive to reproduce and they pass their pesticide resistant genes onto their offspring over multiple generations so this is known as constitutive tolerance essentially the frogs have part of their very genetic constitution which allows them to have a tolerance to the pesticides so that's the kind of evolutionary way
1: yeah that's your like classic natural selection route right
0: Exactly, yeah. Once that survive,
1: do better, propagate, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, reinforcing cycle.
0: Yeah, it's a brutally harsh way of doing it. You know, literally the strong continue and uh, reproduce, and eventually you have populations of frogs with pesticide tolerance. The second way is called the inducible way. So this is frogs which are exposed to pesticides, usually in much smaller amounts and less frequently, but they have some ability when they are exposed to pesticides, they have some kind of plasticity in their uh, makeup of their bodies, which means that they can actually respond to this threat in a relevant way and defend themselves. So this, it's not necessarily uh, genetically hardwired to the same extent, it's more a phenotypically plastic trait where, okay, you're sitting in a pool, suddenly there's some pesticides, bang, something happens, and uh, the frog reacts in such a way to reduce its mortality from the pesticide. But it's not necessarily, um, you know, conscious. a strict... Yeah, it's definitely not conscious, uh, <laughs> I would say. Unless, I don't know, what would that feel like reacting to well, pesticides?
1: A, a conscious phenotypic plastic. well, I suppose that wouldn't be phenotypic plasticity, but it would be behavioural plasticity, is maybe frogs that were good at detecting uh, a harmful pesticide and then left and remove themselves from danger that would feel that i mean that's plasticity there if you had some that were just like really stubborn and just remain there to die they would be less plastic but it's not that's not really unless you want to count behavior as a phenotype which i suppose you could in some contexts but (laughs) that's not what you're talking about you're talking about an ability to take on these toxins deal with them internally without dying and moving on. And it's not something that's being genetically passed down. It is something that these frogs hold. Uh, all of them hold genetically, I suppose. Like how people digest alcohol. Right? You consume alcohol. People can't consume alcohol because only the ones that are capable of consuming alcohol survive. You can consume it because your liver deals with it. And you can carry on. Right? Is that... Yeah, yeah that <laughs> makes sense. Apt analogy, Analogy? So that... That's evolutionary
0: tolerance. And then perhaps there's a subset of people who, if they drink alcohol, although they don't possess genetically the ability to cope with it, maybe the the act of drinking it switches something on inside their bodies and allows them to produce an enzyme. That would be kind of
1: inducible tolerance. Right. So it's reactionary without the genetic aspect. Yeah.
0: So you've got evolutionary um, tolerance and inducible tolerance. So, yeah, otherwise known as constitutive tolerance and... Um, inducible tolerance so we've got these two means by which the frogs can have tolerance and there's already been some studies done where they demonstrate that frogs have a kind of continuum of tolerance depending on how close or far away they are from like major agriculture so uh, they've already done a bit of work prior to this paper and they found that populations living closer to agriculture have a higher baseline tolerance to a pesticide called carbaryl compared to populations which live further away from agriculture And they did find that there was a gradient. So populations close to agriculture possess high baseline. So they have high constitutive tolerance, whereas populations far away possess a low baseline tolerance, but they have high inducible tolerance. So basically, if you live further away from agriculture, you're less frequently exposed. You have a better ability to just turn on a tolerance when you need it. Whereas if you live close to it constantly, you have this genetic predisposition to be um, easily defended from pesticides. Right. And so basically, yeah, what we've described there in semi-convoluted way is that there's this variation in how tolerant things are to um, pesticides, but what the authors of this paper were interested in and what we're going to focus on from now on is with everything in nature, there's trade-offs to be made. So if you're a frog, which has got a constitutional tolerance, which has evolved through natural selection, through being repeatedly exposed to pesticides, your, your genetic makeup is such that you have a defense. However... In evolving this defense, it's possible that there's had to be some kind of evolutionary sacrifice elsewhere. So maybe they're more or less fit as a result of this tolerance. So, say you're tolerant to pesticides, but the mechanism which produces that tolerance, I don't know, this isn't a scientific example, but say, let's just say you had an ability within your cells to produce a certain compound which does something to nullify the pesticide. It could be that that same compound which helps to nullify the pesticide also has uh, another effect which might actually make an infection from, say, a virus worse. And there are some examples of this in the literature. So, uh, And and there are examples where it goes both ways, actually. So um, we're talking about mosquitoes. There's mosquitoes which have evolved a resistance to this particular insecticide, a pyrethroid insecticide. And when they do that, the way they protect themselves evolutionarily is that they produce a thicker cuticle which shields them from chemical exposure so literally they've just they're just they've got a thicker skin essentially and that stops the chemical pesticides getting into their bodies and infecting them that thicker cuticle is also thought to Um, defend them a little bit from parasites which infect them via penetrating their cuticle. So you've got a thick cuticle. All those parasites which you've co-evolved with that are used to stabbing a hole in you in order to get inside (laughs) may not be able to. (laughs) Yeah, they just ricochet off. They bounce back into the pond or whatever. So yeah, that's one example where it's actually beneficial to have evolved um, resistance to pesticide. There's also a flip side to that. Uh, Another uh, mosquitoes, mosquitoes which achieved tolerance via something called target site insensitivity are actually more susceptible to plasmodium infection which goes on to cause malaria so it really depends it can go both ways
1: that's what makes it so interesting to look at though because on the face of it you can't really predict what these additional effects are going to be so too complicated yeah yeah. maybe they're going to be sort of synergenetic i guess since working what's that word Synergistic. Synergistic, that's the one, where they reinforce each other, and you can imagine these two selective pressures sort of, oh, it comes with this benefit, that makes it more likely to happen, but it comes with this benefit, also making it more likely to happen, so you're really likely to get that uh, propagating, that that trait propagating in your population, whereas if you've got trade-offs, it might slow down that selective pressure because you're vulnerable to something else. So, okay, you're great at surviving this pressure, be it pesticides but you're awful at surviving this other pressure that's present that's going to sort of soften the selection to be pesticide resistant potentially
0: yeah that's right and so they've got these 15 population of populations of wood frogs on a kind of continuum from near to agriculture to far from agriculture and that is associated with a high either a high baseline tolerance if you're in really high agriculture areas, high pesticide use, or a high inducible tolerance if you live far away, so you're not constantly exposed. And what they wanted to do was they wanted to see whether these different populations with these different kinds of pesticide tolerance could be more or less well defended against a couple of parasites which commonly infect frogs. And so the parasites they've decided to choose, one, the first is echinostomes, so these are widespread trematodes and they use larval amphibians as a secondary intermediate host. So I think in this example the first host is a snail. The snail gets eaten by the frog. The parasite passes into the frog. I don't know what the top layer is. Um I would imagine it would be some kind of predator of frogs, perhaps a bird or something like that.
1: Yeah or maybe maybe a fish or even even a snake. Um I I looked up trematode because I was like, "What do these things look like?" And they look like little blobs. So there's no
0: consistency to how they look. I no. tried to do the same thing. Um, some of them look like a slug. Some of them look like a beach ball.
1: But there is a there is a illustration here of uh, uh, them starting in a snail, moving into a fish, and then the fish being eaten by a large husky. And uh <laughs> <laughs> <Just like laughs> now, in whoever, I I don't know where this is coming from, but. Um, there are two different diagrams that have a husky or or spitz like dog consuming a large fish. So I can only I can only believe the top level is some sort of large canid.
0: Right, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't let your dogs just eat random suspect pond fish, I suppose is the lesson there. Um,
1: hey, I, yeah. That's what I'm getting. That's that's my <laughs> <Yeah>. quick Google.
0: <laughs> so, um yeah, so what happens when these Echinostomes get into uh amphibians they generally affect larval amphibians so we're talking about tadpoles. um when they get in they insist so they just plant themselves in the kidneys and this causes hemorrhaging edema death um which is obviously bad and so for the tadpole, the way, yeah so as we mentioned yeah for the for the parasite amazing i mean a nice juicy tadpole kidney to suck on mm. to, what could possibly be better but um The way in which they gathered these echinostomes for this experiment, these little parasites, was that they collected up ramshorn snails and each ramshorn snail was put in a little tube with some clean water and then they exposed it to light. And for whatever reason, I suppose um, the parasites are eager to reproduce, when this happens, when the snail is exposed to light, they start poking out of the snail and swimming around in the water. And these are like the free swimming form of the larvae. So I imagine that's what transfers from the snail to the frog, actually. Maybe the frog doesn't even have to necessarily eat the snail. Um, but this well, allows I mean, the I it would scientists.
1: be the tadpole eating the snail, correct?
0: Sorry, yeah, the tadpole mm-hmm. eating the snail. I don't think many tadpoles eat snails, so I'm starting to think now that it just goes oh, snail. Oh,
1: tadpoles are, tadpoles are weird, man. They can eat all sorts of things if they really put their little keratin mouthpiece, mouthpieces to it. Some of them are sucking on things, and they're like bottom feeding. Some of them are like little bitey ones, all sorts.
0: Yeah, some of them eat meat, don't they?
1: Yeah, yeah definitely let's
0: not let's not hurry to underestimate the tadpoles then i i
1: I think exactly that never underestimate a tadpole and certainly don't underestimate a large quantity of them in a bad mood
0: oh okay yeah true that so um yeah basically you put the put the snails in the tubes and this tempts their free swimming free swimming form to uh swim out and then that can be sucked up and used in an experiment rana viruses are the other parasite that they're using. Um I didn't realise you could use parasite to describe a virus. Apparently
1: you can. I mean, neither neither did I, but when you think about it, yeah. absolutely fine. Like, <laughs> yeah, yes, it's almost it. the textbook definition of a parasite. <laughs> yeah, case
0: closed. Um so yeah, rhinoviruses, people might have heard of them. They're this emerging viral pathogen, and they can affect, infect not only amphibians, but also fish and reptiles. And in amphibians particularly, it's very widely distributed, and it's been implicated in some really bad mortality events across the globe. Ranavirus usually affects larvae and young frogs, and it leads to death by initiating the death of individual cells within the liver, kidney, and spleen. Anything that affects the spleen, just the word, saying the word spleen is quite graphic.
1: Yeah, it's a bit of a gut punch really going for the spleen. Very nice.
0: And wood frogs particularly are very susceptible to ranaviruses. And uh the way they obtained their ranavirus culture for this experiment was um there was a big die-off of larval salamanders in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and uh yeah, they scraped up some of the virus off of them and used it for this experiment. So as we said, You've got 15 populations of wood frogs from near to far away from agriculture. You're expecting these particular types of pesticide tolerance. And you know, actually, you know that they have these particular types of pesticide tolerance. So what you've got is...
1: Just, sorry, before you go on, just as a context for distance to agriculture, we're talking like 10 metres-ish to just over half a kilometre. Yes. So like far from agriculture is not like, you know, miles away. So... This is, this is just to give you a sense of the scale of what these effects are occurring over. Yeah. You're looking at about half a kilometre.
0: That is their distance from agriculture. Yeah. The distance between individual sites they sampled was at least four kilometres. Right. So the, they justified that because apparently they had past studies demonstrating what they term the genetic neighbourhood, which I really like, <laughs> is generally within one kilometre of a
1: breeding pond. Frog sites are independent of each other. You know, to, if you're getting to, frogs to, from this location, they're going to be a different subpopulation from frogs from another place, right?
0: Yeah, at least in recent history, yeah. They're generally not going to stray further than yeah. a kilometre. Within a few generations, I think, is what they're getting at.
1: Yeah, seems pretty sensible.
0: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, and I think it's a nice justification. So, what did they find? I mean, let, should we just get stuck into what they found?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think so. Start start with the uh, the more classic parasite, when you say the word parasite, I think.
0: Yeah, it's this wiggly slug thing, that's what people think of, isn't it?
1: Yeah, the uh,
0: echinostome echinoparifium.
1: Yeah. And basically the case was that the closer you got to agriculture, the lower proportion of these uh trematodes that sort of what what's the word? Insisted. Insisted into En-cysted. the uh, Yeah into the tadpole. So basically it's this, this scenario where if you fur, basically whatever pesticide exposure is actually supporting the frogs in their resistance against these trematodes, correct? Well, at least that's the implication.
0: Absolutely, that's the implication, yeah. If you've got high constitutive tolerance, which has evolved as a result of being highly exposed to pesticides, for some reason you have lower parasite loads from a in a pariphium if you insist you know what i'm saying there it's a joke
1: um, um no
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's insist with an e oh oh it's a play on play on the the fancy the fancy insist word got you yes
0: okay so what about rana virus with rhinovirus, they actually found no relationship between the mechanism involved pesticide tolerance and survival. But populations but. living closer to agriculture experienced higher viral loads. So what they right. found was that if you've got this high constitutive tolerance from being around pesticides, then you have a higher viral load of rhinovirus. So it's not, it's not making the frogs die at a higher rate, but they're actually hosting higher amounts there's going to be larger amounts of the virus on their on and in their body than those which are further away from agriculture
1: right and i think they were suggesting other studies have found well in fact they found a weak connection between i think they found a weak connection between viral load and survival chance so it, it's what they were pointing out in the discussion as far as my reading of it was that because wood frogs are so vulnerable to this ranavirus, basically, if they were infected, they had a really poor chance of survival—like really poor—to the point that there is barely any distinction between ones with less ranavirus and ones with more ranavirus because they're so weak to it. So, hmm. you imagine trying to trying to work out—you know—a study. You're, you're examining this along a gradient of how much ranavirus they had in them but a tiny bit will just bump them off anyway. There's nothing to compare against. It makes it really, really hard to compare against because it's just you're getting a whole bunch of dead frogs and there aren't any sort of survivors to examine as a point of comparison. Um, they had a little bit of extra bit of information too, where they were like, okay, well if it's such high mortality, maybe we can use a different metric, and they brought in this uh, time to death. So the faster the tadpole died, you'd expect ranavirus virus having a larger effect and they didn't see anything particularly clear in that sense in relation to closer to agriculture and further to agriculture maybe there's something beginning to happen um with the closer to agriculture ones taking longer to die but it's it's basically not clear at this point um and it doesn't look like there's any particular effect but that might just be because of how potent ranavirus is against these wood frogs.
0: Yeah, like you say. Um pretty much all of them died. They were, anything that was exposed to ranavirus became infected with ranavirus and generally they were living for a, just over a week and then dying. Yeah.
1: But um the sort of bright side of this if there is a bright side, you know, the useful information from this is they're closer to identifying a like threshold value which is lethal to wood frogs so you can imagine a scenario that they they sort of mention like if you uh, I don't know you wanted to predict if there were going to be wood frogs in this area you could sample for ranavirus levels and if they're above a certain threshold be very unlikely to find wood frogs Mm. or vice versa you find wood frogs and you have a decent sort of ecological indicator species that perhaps ranavirus isn't particularly present in this area because, you, you know, studies like this show that they're super susceptible um, to a certain concentration of ranavirus in their, in their little tadpole immediate area. Yeah, yeah. So still think, useful information, really useful information. Yeah,
0: and I think that these kinds of studies, which are not just examining the effects that pesticides have on wildlife, but also the ongoing sort of cryptic effects, the, the fundamental changes that pesticides bring about in animals, even evolutionarily or otherwise can affect their interactions with other yeah. creatures in their environment you know this goes for host parasite um relationships this almost certainly goes for predator prey interactions as well
1: well yeah it's very i mean you're talking about what eat frog you know what's going to be the the final stage of some of these these parasites cycle and that's very much tied to wood frog predators you know you can imagine the knock on effects of a uh, you know, far from agriculture or, or vice versa scenario where there's fewer wood frogs because they've been exposed to something, you know, be that ranavirus virus or, or whatever. Pesticide makes them weaker to ranavirus further. Fewer wood frogs, fewer things to be predated upon by uh, whichever predator is e- eating frogs. And the sort of knock-on there, maybe the lack of that predator then releases something else and their population increases. You know, the, the knock-on effects are outrageous for something like mm. this which i suppose is quite you know it's quite hard to predict and quite hard to monitor from base principles it's you know pesticide you can't just look out your window and see if there's a pesticide there or not it no, takes you have a to taste, hell of a lot of work
0: <laughs> you have to taste the water to see
1: you have to lick the frogs yeah
0: <laughs> yeah yeah it's pretty wild really cool again i mean you know thanks to skylar for asking us to cover a another um, parasitic paper yeah really interesting really cool something which would probably ordinarily shy away from because it seems confusing but um this paper is fantastic and uh yeah i think it presents a really nice link between these two things and something which i'm sure lots of other people will like to study and find increasingly complicated yeah
1: relationships well and super important you know anthropogenically human wise too because it's okay you're using pesticides this is something you have to take into account. We're this... living
0: in the Anthropocene.
1: Yeah. But that's going to that's gonna affect everything, everything down, isn't it? Or everything sideways.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. So that was awesome. Thanks again to Skylar. Now, Ben, let's move on to our episode 100 special Herp. I wish I'd come up with a more catchy name for it.
1: What's, what's the name you got for it?
0: <laughs> Herp Guessing Game.
1: Oh, yeah, the Herp Guessing Game. Everybody loves the Herp Guessing Game. I think... <laughs> that that level of naming quality is absolute that's that's bang on us right there <laughs> okay well let's start who's going to go first um well how what's what's our what's our mechanism for doing this well i think what we need to do is we need to get
0: all of our ones up on the relevant social medias so oh i'm not
1: if, well what the social medias what if they are guesses already provided well well yeah that's I was thing. just going to at- send them to you via facebook <laughs> Oh,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. We send them to each other via Facebook, but then you've got to find your own ones to look, to not... It's going to be hard, actually, isn't it? Maybe we should guess them ourselves first. Yes, and then... And then... talk about who's guessed them right after. All right. Because otherwise, yeah, we're going to accidentally see some stuff we don't want to see. All right, I'm sending you the images. Oh, he's already... What's all this? All right, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You sent me something else completely unrelated, and I was like, "What have you done?" I thought you'd I thought you'd put all your pictures in some kind of website.
1: No, what
0: are you up to? Sorry, I'm quite excited.
1: I just I loved uh, the finding different species and yeah. uh, just being blown away at the choice and how <laughs> there are so many herpetofauna species out there that i have never heard of oh, and mate. so many skinks that look exactly the same
0: <laughs> oh my god yeah one of yours is uh well i won't say but one of yours i mean if you get it i i just don't i just don't see any hope really i just think it was too big of an ask and also it makes you realize how many salamanders or whatever it might be look alike oh yeah there's at least one of these which i hope you get I thought we could also I was in doing this I was thinking about another one we could do um we could do the same for audio audio noises
1: Yes we would have to yeah that one's harder to do because we have to source that stuff um but I I think an audio one would be good in the future
0: Yeah and that way we could use, we could also have like cuz do you remember when we had those blooming geckos that just sounded like banshees from hell and it was like what is that noise Yeah because obviously, if I'm showing you a photo of a turtle, you're going to be like, it's a turtle. <laughs> Whereas if it's just a sound, it, it's so much more cryptic. It could be anything.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You could easily have
0: stages. So you could have like a point for, for sort of even animal type and a point for <laughs> a genus, a point for species.
1: We have <laughs> a, a couple of couple of tricks where one's just a screaming cat. Yeah, and... one's
0: just me going. <laughs> 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 There's
1: always a duff one in there. A non-hepedophornia.
0: Right, so who's going first? Should we take it in turns?
1: Yeah, absolutely take it in turns. Yeah.
0: Okay, sweet. All right, so let's do UDT1 first then.
1: All right, I'm ready. I'm
0: prepared. Okay, so the background info for this one, Ben, it's an amphibian and it's from the United States. Okay. So that narrows it down to probably close to 200 species.
1: Oh, easy. I was thinking more like 500 species.
0: (laughs) Okay, so if you have got the picture up? Describe to me what you're seeing.
1: No, where am I? Where am I going to find this picture? Oh. I thought you were going to send it to me.
0: Oh, sorry. I, I I always think Facebook's done it and then it hasn't done it. Where are yours? You got to send
1: me yours. Well, I was going to send them one at a time, so you weren't oh. going to be confused. Oh, well, don't with look. Don't look at those. At. Don't look. Okay, don't look. <laughs> I, I'm all I'm wait, excited. What, what am I not looking at? What I am. Don't looking look. At. <sighs> okay, wait there. <laughs>
0: Here we go. Here's the first one. T1.
1: So I'm seeing a little salamander, right? Yes. Classic salamander shape, quite long, quite slim, bulbous eyes, uh, grey, blue-grey with bright red legs.
0: Very bright red legs. Extremely bright red legs. And ribbed, you'll notice.
1: Well, classic salamander, right? Mm-hmm. From the US.
0: From the US. If you can get a gene, if you can get a family even, I'll be impressed. We have talked about them on the podcast. See, I'm not
1: saying I'm thinking, I'm thinking there's those super toxic newts that snakes eat like venom versus uh toxin, right? Mm. Or toxic venom, uh, toxic resistance. And I'm having a tough time remembering their name. I think they're like rough skin newts, yeah. And it could be a rough skin newt because it's got like little dimply bits and i'm failing to think of any other newt from the u.s other than like spotted and it doesn't have spots
0: <laughs> okay the rough skin newt, not really that close
1: <laughs> it's so a different what family, family is that like that's salamander S- eh? yeah that's what that, that family wise that's what i would have guessed absolutely
0: that's your guess okay yep. that's no that's no points <laughs> are you gonna have a bash at the species care to just guess
1: what? More so than rough neck rough rough oh, right, okay, yeah, no, Skin mute, sorry?
0: No, that's it then. That's you all I got. That's all okay. I got. I'll reveal the answer, shall I?
1: Yeah, well,
0: ideally. Okay, so it's actually Plethodon Chioha, which is the Chioa bald salamander. Oh my days. It's bald,
1: bald? <laughs> as opposed <Yeah>. to hairy. <laughs> Don't ask me. The wigged salamander of Southern Chihuahua. Yeah.
0: yeah, no, I think you've been robbed there, mate. Um <laughs> but what are you gonna do? Nil Ben what I'm gonna do I'm gonna send I'm gonna send me with the
1: first image I'm so keen all right so here we have a beautiful beautiful species from Mali from Mali
0: yeah (laughs) oh it's a crocodile from Mali
1: yeah You remember where Mali is, right? No. There's, I don't. We I both, can't remember. We both have degrees in geography. There's no excuse I know, here. But
0: I'm a fraud. Uh, Mali. This
1: was this was a level of it's difficulty country, I didn't foresee.
0: It's a country in Africa, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So it's an African crocodile. I'm just going to go Crocodilus niloticus.
1: Oh, bang on. No yeah! croc. Yeah. Straight up. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, so I got a point. Oh
1: hundred percent. Hundred percent.
0: Excellent. Hey sweet. Alright. So it's one nil. <laughs> <laughs> Just updating the scores in case we forget Ben. Okay. Um right, incoming second image for Ben. This one. I've got high hopes for ya. It's inbound.
1: Oh. But which country?
0: Well, yeah. So, what are you looking at? Describe so it to me.
1: We're looking at this, uh, I would say, medium sized colubrid snake. Uh, it's olive in color with slight uh, darker banding on the underside of it. It uh, has a slightly brownier, more olivey head and a very distinct little uh, black and pale yellow collar. Now, colloquially, I think you'd call it a grass snake. Yes, but without a doubt. With a recent split between. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, grass snakes found in the UK versus Europe. It could be two of one species, and I don't think I can tell them apart visually. Okay, what's the common name of our one? Currently,
0: yeah,
1: common name, mm. a barred grass snake. Yeah, right. Yeah, Natrix Helvetica is its land. Yeah, mainland that's is Natrix Natrix. Yeah. So you're gonna give you're gonna give me the country? <laughs>
0: oh, sorry, sorry, sorry.
1: It's Switzerland. Oh, then I'm putting I'm putting all my money on Natrix, Natrix.
0: Nice. Correct. Big up. When I saw that pop out, I was like, oh, fair, yeah, fair. <laughs> I was really excited that there was actually one I recognised. Because after Plethodontiawa, I was like, wow, is this going to be like that? Okay. Okay. So big up. You got a point. All right. I'll have my second one now, please.
1: Okay. Here we go. An absolute beauty. Yeah, I forgot I was
0: supposed to give you the country. I was just going to let you suffer. <laughs> but yeah. From pictures I've seen... Um, the ones from the UK do have, like, generally a slightly more barred pattern on the flanks.
1: Okay. Yeah. okay. Oh,
0: wow. Look at this little creature. Where's it from?
1: Uh, this is a beautiful lizard from the oh. Czech Republic or Czech Republic. Uh,
0: oh. uh, It's a green lizard, right? It's pure green. It's, like, really jewely, It looks beautiful and it's got a blue face. Ah. Is it? um i'm so bad with lizards uh, <laughs> is it i want to say uh, lacerta
1: yeah agilis which one agilis not agilis ah uh,
0: <laughs> uh It doesn't have lines on it i'm just guessing now
1: trilineata no look 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 at that look at that little lizard look at that lizard what what does it scream to you it's really green and it's got a blue face. Okay. Blue-headed
0: lizard. Blue-headed green lizard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lacerta viridis. Hey.
1: Yeah.
0: I don't think that counts. I had too much help. I think I get half a point for Lacerta though, right?
1: You definitely get half a point for Lacerta and you also said the words green lizard at one point, which yeah. is the majority of the common name, European green lizard damn damn
0: i had a chance to get that and i goofed it ah uh, and where's that from again that one
1: uh czech republic
0: wow bah not bad but not great i'm not even sure if all the oh yeah i think actually all the species i guessed are real ones so that's at least something um <laughs> damn jeez, viridis ah oh, that classic word for green mm-hmm. all right you ready for number three
1: well are you ready for number three no it's me ready for number three I'm yeah. ready for number three. There you go. Okay. Some sort of marine aquatic turtle.
0: Yeah. Then it's got an image of a, a large marine turtle.
1: It could be small, just very close to the camera. <laughs> oh, I'm so bad with turtles. turtles it's, not, so a, it's not a leatherback. I can tell you that much. That's right. It's not a leatherback. It back. has an incredible overbite, which is mm. leading me to think that it's going to be a hawksbill. And that's all I got to go on,
0: mate. You're correct. It is a Hawks Bill. Nice. Um. Well done. Yeah, I think scientific name is a lot to ask for, but it is Eret Michaelis imbricata. Yeah, that's no, a fat I, I, point. I, I,
1: I, I wouldn't have known it's, it's Latin. Not that a, is that's... a
0: big. You're getting a big point for that one. Well done. All right. So currently, scores in the doors are two one to Ben after 3 turns for Ben and 2 turns for Tom.
1: Okay. You ready for your number 3 then? B3. Mate, so ready. Let me see it. You're going to like this one.
0: Oh, it's a snake. Oh. Oh, oh. Uh, hmm, okay. It's, it's another
1: I I think that's a green mamba. It's from Eritrea if that would help.
0: Oh, what is the uh Uh, I think it's a green mamba which is um isn't that not something else, Viridus? Uh... Yeah, my guess is green mamba. I can't remember the genus.
1: Uh, if oh, you're, you're so close. You're so close. It's the other mamba. Black mamba? It's the black mamba.
0: But it's not very... Really...
1: Oh, God, okay, yeah, damn it. That's <laughs> dumb. I have a horrible feeling they're both present
0: in Eritrea. <laughs> I thought, yeah, mm, damn it. I mean, black mambas I've seen pictures of, I guess they are sometimes that color. They're more gray, though. That's quite a green snake, isn't it? I suppose it's an olive color.
1: Yeah, I would say olive. Yeah. I was looking for an image where it didn't have its mouth open because that would be too easy. Oh, green mambas
0: are so green. That was such a bad guess. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my days. What an Ah, oh, Okay, that's no points. Well, no, that's deserved... half point, surely. Because I got, but I couldn't remember what the genus was.
1: Yeah, but mamba is a is is the genus, right? Like yeah. in the sense that only things called mamba belong to uh, dendroaspis. Yeah, dendroaspis. God. Dendroaspis polylepus. Nice. Wow, oh, I polylepus. bet loads of people
0: will have got that online. Okay. Let's do your number four, mate. It's looking like it's looking like you're gonna get a big win here. This one, I feel. <laughs> but I feel pretty confident you'll get this one. Let's have a look. Here we go. Oh, so this is a an amphibian, as I'm sure you can tell. Yeah. Um, from Barbados.
1: Ah, so it's, it's a very large looking toad from Barbados. Yeah. Huge as a whopper. Oh, I mean, I'm just gonna have to go cane toad to be blunt. <laughs> I mean, the bulk of this boy is. Phenomenal. Yeah, the paratoid.
0: the paratoid glands are like bigger than its head. Own, yeah, they're like their own animal.
1: Yeah, I'm going. I'm going cane toad, cane toad, some sort of bufo. Um, I don't yeah. know anything else toad wise that it comes is. from Barbados. It is Mariner, marina,
0: the cane toad. Smashed it. Another oh yeah, point. it's not
1: bufo anymore, is it? Yeah, no,
0: but you know, well done, smashed it. Not native to Barbados. Uh, it's an introduced species.
1: Oh, cheeky. Yeah. You ready for your number four?
0: Yes. Oh my word. Look at this
1: little character. So this this little guy is from Chile. Have we ever done a podcast on this animal? Uh not that I'm aware of. So Um, I'm looking at Yeah, you you've got a really tough couple coming up. (laughs) This one and the next one. Yeah (laughs) There weren't many amphibians that I recognized from anywhere. (laughs) You got really unlucky. So, uh, I think there's a half point here that you can get, um, because it's it's partly a trick question. Where's it from again? Chili. Chili. Oh, God.
0: Is it... Okay, so I'm looking at a very small... It's either a frog or a toad. It's sort of... Base colour is black, and then it's got, like, orange blobs all over its legs, which are really beautiful, and then the top is kind of warty with mottled orange and black and the paratoid mm-hmm. glands are really bright orange
1: one of one of the criteria i used to trim down because Chile has a lot of amphibians like a lot so i trimmed it down to ones that have a english common name
0: oh nice that's good so so i'm gonna guess
1: because there is, there is a good chance you've never heard of this genus ever <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really have no way of knowing
0: what this animal is. I'm going to guess the common name is like orange toad.
1: It's got toad in the name. But it's not um, a toad. It's a frog toad. It's a false toad. It's the Chile Mountains false toad. Tellamato bufo. Ves, vesnustus. Venustus.
0: Well, the only way I was going to guess Tellamato
1: bufo was through
0: telepathy. So. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> I really tried. I was ben. going through so many different Chilean totes and frogs. I'm like, I've never seen any of these. <laughs> weren't even Genera that I'd recognised.
0: Yeah, but this is kind of the the, the game where the randomness comes in. You know, it could be something you've seen. It could be something you've not. All right, yeah. well, I don't. I definitely don't get a point. Okay, here's your number five coming in. Last one for Ben. So this is, as you can see, a crocodilian, and it's from South Africa.
1: I mean... A croc that big from South Africa has to be the Nile Crocodile once again, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are the chances? I guess if you've, like, if you've randomized to Crocodile... And get only, Africa. And get Africa, you're going to get this guy.
1: Yeah, I mean, I had a choice with Mali. There were, like, some little ones. Or said they were little ones, but they might have had Crocodile in another part of the name thinking about it. Yeah. Because, no. It, no. <laughs> of course, Nile Crocodile. Of course. So, yeah, mate, you actually got four out of five. A few of those were very easy and also very much pandering to me.
0: No, I did this. I actually strictly did the randomizer. I didn't muck about. I didn't know selecting. That was just
1: random. You didn't know. You did randomize within the species within the country? Yep. holy smokes no
0: i went i went group first so i knew i was looking for either a snake or whatever and then that allowed me to like filter my country randomness because obviously if there wasn't a snake in a place it it was out and then yeah and then i did yeah so i knew it was going to be a croc. then i did random country and then i did it for example
1: okay because i did random country first random group and then looked at what ones there were and picked ones that I'd actually heard
0: of. <laughs> <laughs> See, I didn't do any of that. I didn't do any filtering whatsoever. I just went for it. Oh and, yeah, boy! And you it could turned out to really be nasty grass ones. snake. Yeah, grass snake, Hawksbill sea turtle, cane toad, and Nile <laughs> crocodile. Literally, like <laughs> some of the most iconic reptiles of the world. Having said that, I had you really threw me a bone with black mamba, and I just couldn't remember for the life of me what it was called. Oh, what that—that's going to haunt me. Right. Okay, your final one. Oh, hey.
1: Oh hey. <laughs> it's uh it's from Romania. It's a slow worm.
0: Oh wait Is there another species over there? It looks like a slow worm. Give give me like three to four minutes to recount the scientific <laughs> name of a slow worm. The
1: slow worm knowledge. So what what he's looking at is this beautiful golden, slender, legless lizard with a small grumpy face and uh maybe slight. Uh lateral lines going going along along its body? Yeah, it's definitely got lateral lines. Um I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> so basically I was I was looking for I was totally taken by the slow worm. And I was looking for common names for it. And yeah. if you go looking for common names for it, it just says slow worm. <laughs> 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 but it's it's the eastern slow worm essentially. So it's not the same. Yeah. No, it's not quite the same as what we have in the UK uh it's um, Col chica is its species epithet
0: what's the genus again
1: uh how do you say it Ang Anguis? Ang- 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 i can't i can't oh read yeah Anguis. really anguice. and ours Just is Anguis fragilis Anguis is that's how okay so it's no. Anguis Colchica. chica Colchica. chica so yeah do i get half a point for slow worm I mean to be honest I'd be tempted to give you a whole point for slow worm because that's literally what everyone calls it. <laughs> yeah, but I had I did I knew that there was another one and I, I
0: meant our one. So that's the name I was trying to recall which I can't believe I couldn't remember. Jesus Christ, I need to get more sleep. Anguis fragilis. Damn it. I can't believe I missed out on the mamba as well. Jeez.
1: To be honest I thought I thought the the <laughs> European green lizard was going to be a slam dunk for you too.
0: <laughs> I actually don't know what any reptiles are. <laughs> oh dear okay cool well that was really fun that was a good game Um, I'd be interested to do it again and or with uh, the addition of uh, noises absolutely okay so let's have a look at the social media and see who got them right let's see if we had anyone getting them right so we've got a few guesses here so should we start I'll tell you what we'll do them in order so in the first one that I did which Plethodon Chow, we had Oh, Ashley Hunt, I'm afraid you're incorrect. Guest Plethodon on Shimani. You did you were closer than Ben, though, which is pretty <laughs>
1: Considerably.
0: good. Considerably. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, and then uh, the grass snake natrix natrix from Switzerland. We had Karina, guest natrix natrix, bang on. Matt Slack, guest natrix Helvetica, which was nearly the mistake you made, Ben. Unfortunately wrong. For the third one, which was the Hawksbill sea turtle, we had. Yeah, we had a couple of people. Amanda and Ryan got the right answer. Congratulations. And Cane Toad, Ashley Hunt, spot on. And similarly, the South African Nile Crocodile, Richard Southworth, got spot on. Wait, I just realized I've only done the Facebook ones. It's a bit of a nightmare of uh, organization here. Aha. Skylar, who actually requested the episode, got the uh, red-legged salamander, but it wasn't. It was unless red-legged salamander is another name for that salamander
1: red-legged salamander
0: you no, put that in f- you
1: get sherman eye
0: yeah so it looks very similar actually but it's not quite
1: hmm. oh my gosh look how many different types there are whoa
0: <laughs> of salamander
1: yeah well specifically plethodon 56 different plethodons at least i suppose they're all micro endemic in places
0: disgusting We got some really good answers on Instagram. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So with regard, the first one, my first one, uh, Lizard Ollie also thought it was a red leg salamander, plethodon shir, manai. However, Lizard Ollie did get, oh no, he guessed natrix helvetica as well for the grass snake. (laughs)
1: That trick
0: question. Uh, uh, He did get the hawksbill right, and the cane toad, and the nile crocodile. Oh, someone, Scott Scout, got plethodon shirwer correctly, so big up. Also got Nile Crocodile right, Dendro Manta Ray, got Lacerta Viridis, and Telemata Venustus, right? That's Damn. the Mountain False Toad. Amazing yeah. work. Oh, Telemata
1: What a phenomenal genus that is.
0: Yeah, it's great. Lizard Ollie knew the Black Mamba, obviously knows his snakes, unlike me. And also got the Slow Worm Anguis Colchina, which is really impressive. Bang on. Well done. Good stuff. So, yeah, good guesses. Mostly right guesses. I think generally speaking, it would be fair to say that most people did better than me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think that, I think that's quite all right. I can't believe that. Uh,
0: that was fun, though. That was fun. Yeah, Definitely felt quite on the spot. <laughs> I, was <laughs> like, I was trying to think of the scientific name for uh, a slow worm, and all I could think of was Apodemus savaticus, which is a wood mouse. It's like it's just running around <laughs> in my brain. Not quite. Okay, sweet. Well, that was really fun. Um, hopefully, uh, people enjoyed that. Yeah, we'll try and do another one with sounds because that way you don't have to go anywhere to look it up. We can just play the sounds and people can mull it over. Well, whatever they're doing, if they're commuting or whatever. So, um, I think that's really that's the episode, isn't it? Pretty much.
1: I think so. Yeah. One hundred uh, episodes done, dusted. On to the next hundred.
0: Yeah, and if you'd like to have if you'd like to hear more of this kind of thing, let us know if you've enjoyed it or if you think it sucks, let us know as well.
1: <laughs> and it will never happen again.
0: Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Well no, you just um, save
1: it to episode two hundred. Save it to episode two hundred. Yeah, yeah.
0: Which won't be far away. Uh, another four years. Um But yeah, if you want to get in touch with us, you can. We're at herphighlights at gmail.com or we're on all social medias you can be our patreon same as skylar if you want to have some sway over the choices of topics that we cover uh, that's patreon.com slash herp highlights all that remains to be said is thank you for listening
1: yeah awesome thanks all for listening